I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As Yonola Sand always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job. It's part of me. Yannis, let me say, we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. <laughs> I remember! I so Gisli Valdovson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much, and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face-to-face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, your beautiful face. <laughs> I was like, But it is huge. beautiful as well, though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there, my name is Martin Ostendahl. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Eurotrip with me, James, and just me, James, this week. If you were listening on Wednesday, you will have heard Rob say that I was very, very busy this week. Uh, Clearly, not as busy as he is, as it's just me bringing you this one solo this week. But it's a very special bonus episode. It is with the man who represented Bosnia and Herzegovina, back in 1993. Now, you may well be wondering, if you are potentially a younger listener, why on earth is this so special? Well, this was the year that Bosnia and Herzegovina made their debut in the Eurovision Song Contest. Previously, they had taken part when they were part of Yugoslavia. Of course, Yugoslavia had won just a few years beforehand. Uh, But because of the breakup of Yugoslavia... Uh, in the early 1990s, Bosnia had become an independent country. 
But also, in the early 1990s, Bosnia was at war. There was a devastating conflict taking place in the country, which meant the Bosnian act, which was Fazla, Mohamed Fazlagic, who we will hear from in today's very special bonus episode, had to, in fact, flee the country just to take part in the Eurovision Song Contest, which that year was taking place in Ireland in the very curious setting of Mill Street in County Cork. We delved deep inside of that contest just a couple of days ago on Rewind. Make sure you go and listen back to that one if you haven't done so already. But on today's bonus episode, I'm going to bring you that full chat I managed to have with Fazla as he talks about his life before Eurovision, what it was like to take part in the contest while he had to flee his own country and what his remarkable life has looked like ever since. So you're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always unusual to do an episode by myself. I, of course, always do it with Rob, typically. So it means so much more when you tune in when it's just one of us bringing you an episode. I always like to hear from you when you're listening, so make sure you get in touch with us. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. I'd love to hear from you. Now, Fazla, for many, many years, has been one of my dream interviews for the Eurotrip. And I've always been looking for the right time to sit down with him and for him to tell us his story. I know on the Eurotrip, Rob and I often joke, don't we, uh, when we say, oh, what a, what a fascinating guy this is, or what a great story, full of insight. Uh, I think we can put the joke aside for this one, because I think Fazla is genuinely one of the most fascinating men you will ever hear from on the podcast with the most remarkable story about how he managed to represent his country at the Eurovision Song Contest. So as I mentioned just a few moments ago, Bosnia was at war in the early 1990s. The entire country was in conflict, so it meant doing anything was nigh on impossible. You'll hear Fazla's story about what he was doing in the early 1990s very, very shortly. So to even record the track was difficult. To leave the country, to take part in the pre-qualifying round, the first year we had a pre-qualifying round in Eurovision was 1993, for him to do that was almost impossible. And then for him to actually concentrate and focus while at the contest in Mill Street in 1993 is just un fathomable. So it was an absolute pleasure, a genuine pleasure of mine to sit down with Fazla uh, last week and chat about his entire story. And I can't wait for you to hear what it was like to get to Eurovision, what it was like to take part, and also what his life has been like ever since, because it has been wild and as varied as you could possibly imagine. And also, make sure you stay tuned right to the very end, when we get a little bit of a hint about how he is trying to get Bosnia back at the Eurovision Song Contest, which I'm sure is something that many of us really want to see. So, as I said, I'd love to hear from you. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. Please do get in touch with all of your thoughts about what we're going to hear from with Fazla. But let's get to it, shall we? This is what happened when I caught up with him last week. So, Fazla, welcome to the Eurotrip. It's absolutely incredible to have you on for a chat. Thank you very much. Thank you for your invite. It's wonderful to speak. I've wanted to speak to you for a long time. I think your story is absolutely fascinating. So should we take it back to to the early 90s? 
which was a very interesting time, wasn't it, in, in in your part of the world? Give us an idea about what you were you were doing in the very early nineties before Eurovision, of course. Well, before war started, basically, I mean, you know, I was just a regular guy from the neighborhood playing football and trying to make it in a in a in a pop music. I'm coming from the kind of famous football family, so expectation was that I'm going also to continue footsteps of my father, my younger brother, my uncle, who was captain of the Yugoslav national team in the final of the European Cup in 1968. And somehow, somehow I got into music and uh, certain people that they were very big composers and very big pop stars suggested that I should, I'd be better off, I mean, you know, getting into pop music than into football. Because uh, it was huge competition in football. I wasn't all that bad. I mean, you know, but it was a very slim chance of making huge success. So that's how I start my cooperation with Dino Merlin, who was composer for the songs for both Sweet or the whole the whole world Spain, that uh, represented Bosnia for the first time in history, with Hari Matahari, who in 2006 represented Bosnia with song Leila. And with Fahrudin Petskoza, who wrote it, lyrics for both of those songs. And that's basically how I started getting into music. Then the war broke out, actually, aggression, starting April 6th. And then we got stuck in Sarajevo. So our aim and goal was to produce as many patriotic songs as we could at the time in order to morally support our troops, defending our homes, country, and everything that we had in Bosnia. So that's basically uh, how I got into music. And then in early 93, since we became independent country on May 22nd, 1992, we got accepted to United Nations. We became instantly uh, members of EBU. So we got finally chance to, to compete at the Eurovision Song Competition. I learned that and then we start talking, I mean, you know, should we put together a song or not? And then Petskoza Fahrudin, who was a lyric writer, he said it would be great for you to sing this song. It's usually designed for younger singers and for somebody who can properly represent Bosnia and bring our story to the living rooms of the people, given that we, we know how huge audience is. Because at the time... Uh, we didn't like the picture that was coming out of Bosnia, and we thought it was misrepresented situation in Bosnia because at the time it was uh, it was treated as a humanitarian crisis, and we knew well that well it wasn't humanitarian crisis that it was aggression. I mean, you know, for both neighbors from the west and from the east. So basically, that's how we came up with the idea that I should be singing. And then because uh, I had some lyrics, Dino joined the crew, Dino Merlin, and we started putting together that song. And first time we created demo, we knew instantly that we had a, I mean, you know, huge hit, and that we hit, a, I mean, you know, we hit the bank. It was, it was basically a song that suited we well. Uh, they were pleased with my performance. We were pleased with the lyrics, with the melody. Then we applied the, the national competition 
out of 47 songs. We got accepted to the final with the 12 other songs. And I was lucky enough, I mean, you know, to win by landslide. I think every member of the jury gave me 12 points for that song. And what was it like then to to win that Bosnian competition? You say you won by a landslide. Do you think there was so many people on that jury who thought this song represented so much and meant so much that it it just had to be you? If you look at the lyrics, I, I, I think we hit the jackpot because we kind of, we hit perfectly emotion of the nation because many people were saying i mean you know i know how to stumble and how to fall but i will never give up so basically that was that, that was the song uh we'll never stop to fight because we knew we were fighting for a just cause and then at the same time we had so many families that they were broken wives girlfriends sisters mothers they were out of the country guys were in a country fighting, I mean, you know, for, for, for freedom. So that phenomenon of, of, of distance between families, it was, it was, I think, major, major theme of the song. And we knew what we were sacrificing. Everybody could com- comfortably, before war broke out, I mean, you know, leave the country and play like it's not, it's not uh, their problem. But we consciously decided to stay in Bosnia and send our families out of the country. And it was long, two or three years for many people and many families. Knowing, I mean, you know, not being sure that we'll see each other ever again. I think that phenomenon of, 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 of broken families, it, it, was, it, was, it was a major thing. And still, we knew what we were sacrificing, but we still knew that fight for a country is a higher cause than anything else. And it wasn't an easy process for you to actually go to Eurovision in the first place. Of course, you've got to win the, the national final in Bosnia, and then you've got to go and do this extra competition. It was in Slovenia, wasn't it? Tell us about that experience. I'm going to tell you, I mean, no, uh, from your perspective, I mean, no, looking from the outside in, probably it was, it was like three different steps to make it to, to the Eurovision Song Competition. But for us, the toughest part was how to record song. Because you have to know we didn't have electricity. So we had to find generators and gasoline for generators to, to record first demo and then regular song. Then if I tell you that uh, from my house to the national television where competition was taking place, I had 10 kilometers going through the sniper alley. So every day, I mean, you know, your life was in jeopardy while you were trying to compete. So you don't know even if you're going to make it alive. After we won the Bosnian competition, our biggest challenge was how to break the siege because Sarajevo was under the siege. So I had to run through the uh, through the uh, middle of the airport runway, which is distance probably around one kilometer under the sniper fire um, under the shellings and everything else in the middle of the night. And it wasn't successful first to attempt, third attempt was successful. So basically, literally, I came to the to the Croatia, which is 200 kilometers from my town, by foot. So it was journey, I mean, you know, that, 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 that was the last probably five or six days until we make it to Croatia. Once we make it to Croatia, we recorded the song and then we were making preparation for Ljubljana, which was basically semi-final. Then in Ljubljana, we had to be qualified in the top three out of 12 nations that applied. 
Unfortunately, four nations didn't show up at all. And Serbia was actually former Yugoslavia was under sanctions. So they were not allowed to compete. I, I know Hungary was there, uh, Romania was there, Slovenia was there, Croatia was there. Uh, I think Macedonia didn't show up, Bulgaria didn't show up because it was mostly like Eastern European countries. So top three would make it to the final in Mill Street in Ireland. I was fortunate enough in the last round of voting to get 12 points from Romania, and that's how we jumped to the second place and ended up going to Mill Street to Ireland. How how did it feel when you got the the points and the vote to actually go to, to Ireland? You know, you told us that incredible story about the, the 200 kilometres you had to travel and, and go through the through the sniper fire. How did it feel to get those points that would send you to Ireland after the journey you'd actually been on so far? When you think about a situation like this, you always have to be looking at the circumstances. I didn't think it was a huge deal. I honestly didn't take myself all that seriously because I knew that in the trenches, in the hospitals, in a, in a, uh, we had people that, that they were defending and fighting. I mean, you know, all the time, and we know that in the hospitals we have doctors and nurses that are taking care of the wounded. So I was kind of under the impression that I was privileged one who was chosen to go and represent Bosnia. So with the with the feelings like that, you you feel certain amount of pressure but more kind of, of responsibility because you are the face of the country and whole country is looking at you and at your performance and how you're going to represent them. Because this was the first time in the history of independent Bosnia that somebody was actually representing Bosnia at the big stage. Never before Bosnia was represented at any level. So you have a certain amount of responsibility. And then at the same time, you know your mother is back in Bosnia. Everybody have a family in Bosnia. Are they going to survive? Are we going to get really bad news? I mean, you know, from Bosnia that somebody in our family was killed, uh, wounded, or something like that. And constantly, one ear was on the news from Bosnia. The other ear was on the on the on the feedback we were getting from the European media and and, and Balkan media. So. If I could sum it up, it was huge responsibility in, in my uh, in my view. But fortunately, since I was a football player, I knew how to function under the pressure. So for me, I looked at it as a challenge and as an opportunity to do something good for my country. And I'm constantly talking. I mean, you know, I, I but it wasn't me. It was a huge band. It was 10 other people that they were supporting entire effort. So it wasn't just me. I mean, you know, I was just personification of the entire crew. So if I could sum it up, I was privileged. But at the same time, I had huge monkey on my back, basically representing country and making sure I'm doing that best at, at the particular moment. So I was trying just to reach my full potential in that particular moment. And I knew if I reached my full potential, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And that people will be happy with my performance. What was it like when you when you got to Ireland for the first time to to go and compete? I, I think we you, you met off the plane by Neve Kavanagh, the the Irish representative in in that in that year. What was that like when when she met you off the plane? 
it was kind of an embarrassing moment for me. I don't know if I ever said this before. I didn't know who she was. <laughs> I didn't know who she was, seriously, because we were under siege. I mean, you know, for more than two years, I couldn't follow anything. We didn't have electricity, didn't have food, didn't have water. And last, I mean, you know, think on my mind was, I mean, you know, to follow pop scene, pop scene in Ireland or in, in Great Britain. So for, for a moment, I thought she was like a fan who was giving me uh, flowers and we needed to take a picture. <laughs> Shortly after, I learned who, who was she. And fortunately, she won. I mean, we had a great relationship. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, her kindness and, and everything else. But basically, when we came to Ireland, uh, we had a little bit different mission. We knew, since we didn't have televoting at the time, that voting probably most likely is going to be political, that nobody is going to allow Bosnia to win that uh, competition because we couldn't be, we were not able to host, I mean, you know, very the same competition because whole Bosnia was in flame. So our job was just to bring our story to the, like I said before, to the, to the, to the living rooms of the ordinary people so they know what's going on in Bosnia, real truth. And I think we were very successful because we had such a huge media attention. And we were able to articulate basically why did we come there uh, and what is our mission and what our song represents. At the same time, we didn't look for a pity. We didn't look for charity. We didn't look, I mean, you know, for, a, for to, 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 to create sorrow or something like that. We wanted to be professional every step of the way. And I think the best satisfaction was that we won basically Grand Prix for the best dressed. Everybody expected we were going to show up in military uniforms, you know, with the, with the, with the painted faces. But we decided, no, we're going to be professional. So we're going to do like everything is okay in our country. I remember reading from a, a BBC producer uh, at the time, Stanley Appel, I think his name was, and he said one of the standout memories for him was that the he said the Bosnian entry were immaculately dressed. Where, where did he get the suits and the, and the dresses from? When we get to Zagreb, I had a friend. Uh, her name was Janissa Medvedic, who is a fashion designer. And I asked her to put together for us the best possible outfit. So... She did immaculate job, like your colleague said. And uh, at the time, we were young. I mean, then also, we were very uh, fit and slim since we didn't eat anything in Bosnia like for over the year. I lost about 50 pounds during the war. Wow. Usually, I'm between 200 pounds and 220. During the Eurovision Song Contest, I had 150. For the guy who is 6'3", who is 6'4", tall, I mean, you know, that's... that's uh, not the best way that, but it was, it looked good on a TV and looked good in a fashion magazine. <laughs> what was Mill Street like as a place? Because most people, when you talk about Eurovision and you talk about host cities, Mill Street is the most unusual place to have ever held the Eurovision Song Contest. It's a funny story, but uh, it turned out it turned out that it was good. Mill Street is a small village. In a, in, a, in a Cork area of uh, Port Cork. So basically one gentleman decided he's gonna find some, finance everything. And uh, he had a huge uh, horse stall and he converted into a big hall where I mean, you know Eurovision Song Competition could be held. So uh, people on the TV, they didn't have any idea where exactly we were singing, but basically it was 
I mean, you know, it was horse talk. A very bizarre place, wasn't it? <laughs> very bizarre. It looked good. It looked good. I mean, you know, they had a great parking. They, they did everything they supposed to do to deceive. I mean, you know, audience of 300 million people. Everybody thought that it was some concert. I mean, you know, a hall that is big time. But it was basically horse stall, and nobody would recognize that that was horse stall. It was it, my my experience was great. I mean, you know, I don't have any complaints when it comes to that. I don't know about journalists. I don't know what kind of conditions they had for working. But green room was immaculate. It was excellent. We had everything we needed. Uh, I have to tell you that Irish people were so hospitable that they were so nice to us that uh, I'm never going to forget that because we had uh, increased security because we were coming from the war area. I don't know what kind of intelligence they had when it comes to our team, but they took specific measures when, when it comes to security and we would go to rehearse to the helicopter. We had, I mean, you know, serious guard around us and it was, it was really beautiful. Uh, hotel that we were uh, in, it was amazing. It was old Victorian hotel, three four hundred years old, but it was amazing, and everybody were really nice to us. What was it like when you were actually performing the the song on stage during the the live show? Could you actually could you actually focus on the job in hand, or was it quite difficult because you kind of knew what was still going on at home, or, or were you actually able to focus on the job in hand? We had so many rehearsals, so I kind of already felt pretty comfortable. But before you are going to the stage, you know exactly, I mean, you know what's going on and you know what kind of responsibility you have. But if I said anything to myself at the moment while I was walking from the green room toward the toward the stage, it was like, this is a one-time shot. Now you have to reach your full potential. Now you represented not just yourself, you are representing 4 million Bosnians and you have to do the best you can. I rehearsed that song and I think my performance was better than expected, to be honest with you. The reason why I know that, for instance, uh, I don't know if you are aware, but uh, people from Great Britain, they are putting together a feature movie about Eurovision song competition based on my story. So they did research in Bosnia how many people actually watched during the war because we didn't have electricity, we didn't have TV. I mean, you know, all our amateurs were destroyed by the... So basically they came up with the result that almost every single Bosnian remembers exactly where they were that particular day when Eurovision Song Competition took place, just like every citizen of New York City remembered where they were on 9-11. So that was one of the events during the war that every single Bosnian remembers where they were at the moment when I was performing. And I know when I came back to Bosnia after like five or six months, because I had tour, we did our album in Croatia. And then when I came back, I know how people were nice to me regarding my performance. And still to this day, there is every single May that I'm on every single news station, on every single TV station, talking about Eurovision uh, song competition. And that's one of the unforgettable moments in Bosnian music history. What are your memories of 
the green room and, and the results when they were coming through, of course, there were there were probably two standout memories that the fact that you got the 12 points from from Turkey, that must have been a huge moment. And then also the the time when the host patched through and we heard from the Bosnian spokesperson as well. And there was that huge round of applause. Do you remember your feelings and emotions for, for those two events? Of course, you do remember. First of all, we didn't think anybody is going to give us 12 points because our song was in the Bosnian language. It's a little bit difficult for people outside of Bosnia or Croatia to relate to the lyrics. And very uh, few people learn our or heard our English version of the song. First 12 points from Turkey, it was like, I mean, you know, where is this going? So we got anxiety at the same moment, but after a few other countries, we knew we were not going anywhere in terms of, of winning the competition. But as far as reading the room is concerned, Everybody was so nice to us. It was amazing. So relationship with other countries was second to none. And then when Sarajevo, when 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 they called Sarajevo, we didn't have basically connection with the with the with the island. I always choked up when I start talking about it. So basically, our jury had to talk to the radio amateurs. When lady who was uh, leading the Eurovision Song Competition said. Yes, Sarajevo, we are hearing you. Then and even tonight, I still have goosebumps. What are the what are the standout memories do you have about that experience? Because it it must have been overwhelming, but there would have been surely some some positive memories and some positive moments. I mean, do you remember some of the other songs? Did you did you enjoy some of the other the other artists and some of the tracks that were performed on the same night? I remember uh, one night at the Irish party, Johnny Logan was present. And uh, I thought at the time I could drink. When I saw Johnny Logan, <laughs> I realized that I was Mickey Mouse when it comes to drinking. I mean, you know, he's he's a serious master, master of <laughs> he's a serious master of craft. And we had really, I mean, you know, good, really good time there. Uh, like I said, I mean, I didn't see this as a, as an overwhelming experience. I saw this as opportunity to represent the country, and I knew already how to function under pressure. So we really enjoy ourselves. We were happy that we were able to bring our story, like I said, to the living rooms. And what can I say? Irish TV, national Irish TV, uh, they planned every single step for us. We didn't lack anything. Everything we wanted to have. We had it, even, I mean, you know, situation that we are talking after almost 30 years about that Eurovision Song Competition speak for itself. Probably remarkable, re remarkable moment in my life. And I have a friend, I'm right now, I don't know how much do you know, I'm in politics and I'm uh, very close with the Bosnian president, Željko Komšić. And I am seen right now as a political activist figure, but I have a, president who is saying when you die on your tombstone he's not going to be writing he was president of Bosnia he's going to be saying he's the first Bosnian representative at the Eurovision Song Competition. <laughs> How does that make you feel? But it's okay I mean you know that's perception of the of the public so that's my kind of I mean a birthmark now became and I'm going to be perceived for the next 50 years probably as a person who represented Bosnia for the first time, regardless of what I do for, for what I do for the rest of my life. 
so I can fly to the moon, they're going to still say, I mean, you know, he's the first one who represented Bosnia. So. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe they might end up saying the first man to represent Bosnia and then the first Bosnian to go to the moon. Maybe that maybe that would be something good to say, surely. I think, I think Eurovision is stronger. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. What what did you get up to then after after Eurovision then? You said you were you went on a tour promoting the album and then went home a few months later. What on earth have you been up to in the in the thirty years since? I, I presume that the life has been very varied. Uh basically I came back to Bosnia early ninety four and then I was touring, I mean, you know, visiting uh, military camps and, and, and so forth. Uh, of course, trying to, to to raise up the morale of the army who was so successfully defending Bosnia. Then in '96, I decided to go to United States, and then I went there to college. I went for my master degree in diplomacy, and later on, I went for my PhD in sociology. So I was teaching at the University of Louisville for three years, and then one year, I believe, I was at University of Evansville, in Indiana. On the side, I did uh, football school for uh, young boys and girls, and we were developing young footballers for a college. Proud to say that I had more than 100 students or football players that they were playing in my club, that they're attending universities in the United States, and I believe six or seven of them are now playing in major league soccer or second tier of the professional level in the United States. Oh, wow. Then during the corona, I was talking to the then president and now re-elected president. And he said, I mean, you know, if you have desire to come back, you can come and we can work together. So since my daughter went to the university, she's a really good tennis player. She's playing tennis at Michigan State University. She's a freshman and I'm very proud of her. Her name is Sarah, really good tennis player and a really good girl. Uh, since she went to college, I decided to come back to Bosnia because I didn't have any more reasons, I mean, you know, to stay in the United States. And uh, as of right now, I'm senior advisor for Secretary of Defense of Bosnia. I was right then. It's a very varied life since 1993 then. You've done a lot. I know, I know. It turns out, I mean, you know, early on I had few talents like football and, and, and singing, then I decided to go through systematic education. And I did lots of activism for Bosnia. So basically, since I was doing that, then went to school for diplomacy, went to PhD for sociology. I kind of felt I can bring something to the table. President Komšić gave me that opportunity, and I'm really grateful for it, that I can work right now with the defense minister and try to uh, bring Bosnia to NATO together with him. Two more things I must ask you about. The first one is Ukraine, earlier this year, of course, won the Eurovision Song Contest. And I, did you see parallels between yourself and Kalish Orchestra, who represented Ukraine? You know, we know what happened with the, the war in Ukraine earlier this year. They had to leave their country to represent their country. You must have seen parallels between yourself and Kalish Orchestra. Similar, and you can draw parallels and analogy between us. The, the difference between them and us at the time was we didn't have televoting, so public couldn't make impact on our ranking, I mean, you know, at the, at the final night. And we had a little bit different 
I would say, more difficult situation because Sarajevo was under siege. They were not under siege and they were able to prepare and, and, and safely to leave the country and they didn't have to literally walk 200 kilometers like we did. They could fly out of the country and go uh, and, and, and prepare well for Eurovision Song Competition. Very similar situation, but I think we had a little bit more difficult than that. Public sympathy was clearly on their side and resulted with with a, with a great result they, they they finally got. Absolutely. And finally, Fazla, I must ask you about Bosnia in Eurovision nowadays. We've not seen them in the competition since 2016. Would you like to see Bosnia return? Of course, and I'm strongly working on it. The problem we have right now in our council of ministers, in our government at the national level, we have two political parties, HDZ, Croatian Democratic Union, and the Serbian National Social Democrats, who are refusing that fa uh, to finance anything that carried the name of Bosnia and Herzegovina, because there are two secessionist parties. And unfortunately, for the last four years, we were not able to raise the funds through the regular means, through the national television, to go and compete. We have certain uh, amount of money that we owe to EBU. And I right recently we had uh, elections. And if my party became part of the national government, that is going to be one of the issues I'm going to be strongly working on and making sure Bosnia is back at the Eurovision Song Competition. Hopefully, and I hope, certainly I hope that I'm going to be successful at it because I think it's very important to become on a big stage and to represent country where now even Australia is watching, the United States is, I mean, the whole world is watching. And if you are not there in perception of the regular people, you don't exist. So we want to show again that we do exist. Do you think that'll happen then? Do you think we can look forward to a couple of years' time and we'll see Bosnia back on the Eurovision stage? I honestly think I'm going to be successful at my at, at my quest to bring Bosnia back to the Eurovision Song Competition. Amazing. Which year? Tell us which year will it happen? Let's 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 try and make an agreement. When do you think we'll have that happen? I think if not 223, 224 for sure. If we become part of the national government. Amazing. Well, we'll look forward to 2024. Fingers crossed. Um, Fazla, this has been a delight. I think that your story in 1993 and your life ever since, as we've heard, is absolutely fascinating. And it's great to hear that story from you. So thank you so much for joining us here on the Eurotrip. Thank you for your, for your invite. Thank you for the opportunity to speak again about the situation from 1993. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll reiterate my thanks to Fazla for finding so much time and donating it to us here at the Eurotrip and of course you listening at home. Uh, I was right, wasn't I? Hopefully you agree. What a remarkable story from a remarkable man. Genuinely, I'm going to keep saying this, genuinely the most fascinating story I think I've heard here on the Eurotrip. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as, as I did. Maybe you didn't even know that story even existed. Maybe it was just a little footnote in uh, some of your Eurovision uh, knowledge that you've had over the years and you didn't really understand the, the full complexities of that story. I think some of the key takeaways for me are 
well, actually, I don't know what the key ones are because I think almost all of it really was. You know, some of his um, football experience from uh, from before the war and before Eurovision came in handy when he was actually competing and even just fleeing the country. What did he say? 200 kilometres on foot just to escape Bosnia so he could record the track and take part in the pre-qualifying round. It was just a time where Eurovision meant so much more than just actually competing. And what he's gone on to do ever since as well, you know, he he said he went to the USA, did some uh, education there, some football coaching, and clearly a a very good football coach he was as well. Some of those young kids have gone on to be some very successful players by the sounds of things. And then the key thing at the end, if you didn't know already that Bosnian politics is possibly the, the most complex political system in the world. So when Fazla says he is a senior advisor for the Secretary of State of Defence, uh, clearly a very important job, although a very complex job. But for us Eurovision fans, isn't it great to know that there are some people involved in Bosnian politics there who are keen on getting the country back, taking part in the competition? I haven't done so, of course, since 2016. It does sound like there's a lot of work to do, but rest assured, there are people like Fazla who are looking to make that happen. But let me say thanks again to you for listening and again to Fazla. It's about the sixth time I've said it, but I just want to put it on record. My thanks for to Fazla for joining us here on the Eurotrip. As I said at the top of the episode, this has been one of my dream interviews. So to have made it happen and to have been able to bring it to you is great. It was a real pleasure and I really, really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email and you can go and read more about Fazla's story and all of our other exclusive stories on EurotripPodcast.com. We'll be back with you in... I was going to say seven days' time. It's not. It's five days' time next Wednesday for a brand new episode of the Eurotrip. We'll be bringing you another edition of Rewind, another exciting one. So mark your cards for that one. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From just me, James, this week to you, it's a big thanks and goodbye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 